Wait, did you right? give me five minutes to do? No, you've got 20 minutes. You're good. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I thought uh, this went until 3.45. No. Sorry? Really? Talk fast. Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Okay, what's That's going on good. here? Yeah, so what's going on here? Uh, we have a microphone, so if, if we have a volunteer, yeah, yeah. that we, will be we fantastic. We can hear you anyway, but if you want to... You are life. Yeah. Yep. What's going on there? Anybody want to volunteer? Come on. Yeah, what's this mean? Somebody in the back's going like this. Yes. Yeah. It's all bunched together. Yeah, That's yeah. really what we look at. Yep. But I always say to Susan, there is something <laughs> else going on with yes. this cat. One, once again, always look at the whole radiograph. You know, so when you were in vet school, problem. they were saying always to good later, and then they put something in. This is pretty obvious. So what is the main problem of this cat? <laughs> it's not the bunched up thing. <laughs> it's extremely obese. It's obese. <laughs> you know, we can deal with the foreign body. It's obesity, and, and you know, and then what do, what happens in cats that you cut open that are obese? They have hepatoclepidosis and they die. So okay. focus on the important he stuff die. here. He didn't die. So, so every time Susan shows me a picture, it's, like, it's obese again, Susan. What are you doing yeah. with your practice? Yeah. <laughs> so, the first time we ever did this lecture together, I discovered this way that I have a lot of obese patients. Apparently, yeah. Anyway, but it's so really yes. bunched up. Do you have a pointer that you can I point do it out? That's have it. There, a it's all clumped together. Yeah. that's always a sign. The good yeah. thing about obese cats is you can see really yes. clearly. See, there the is abdomen. a benefit. So there is a benefit right it's there. A benefit. So, yes, and it's not and all the bad. other good thing is that you can have at least a two-year plan that the cat needs to visit your clinic very often yes. to deal Forever with obesity. Loss plan. That's there it. he That's is. Very good. So. Yeah. Yes. Back on this one? I've seen a lot of radiographs of lost fat cats. Yes. Yeah. Mm. They're usually not quite that localized. That's mm. really localized. Mm. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. But uh, fat is supposed to be everywhere yeah. in the abdomen. And I he, will agree with you, though, mm. that fat can, you know, yeah. sometimes like... The right there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll, so. I'll agree with you. It's not always black and white. Yeah, but this and, and that's really often the difficult discussion: when should we open it or not? So okay. hopefully we'll get there yep. a little bit when yep. Doctor Sue will come yep. in here okay. too. It's kind of the same thing. You just have to always think about what is what. So in this cat, what was the name of the cat? I don't remember actually. Oh, that, that really helps. So, Blackie. Um, what so eat? the head Blackie. of the cat is what did he eat? Yeah. on this side, and the back of the cat is there. The stomach is right in the middle; is air filled. That's yeah. normal. So it could mean that the cat is nauseated. Yeah. Maybe aspirate a little bit of we air. We usually see them. We usually see nauseated cats. We with air in the see the bunching up in this area, but we also yeah. see a colon that is has air in it. So you always need to look what, where the colon is. There's some feces in the colon. So don't look at that as being abnormal because it has kind of the same pattern, 
But that's not the problem, obviously. No. It's really the problem of the bunching up the small intestine. Yeah. Uh, sometimes the, the thread is not that long, and it's only in the beginning, so it's really difficult to see. So I understand that yeah. sometimes it is very difficult in the fat cat to see. This is kind of this mm. is a loosely bunched linear form body, but you but what looks okay? I know it's fat, mm. yeah. um, but what but what you can you. Get out of the way. Okay. If only this was like a real laser. Zap. Yes. No. Yeah. Okay. So but Oh but, my eye. But <laughs> but notice notice how there's all these like little round discrete yeah. areas. That's often a giveaway to me that there's a linear foreign body in there. And then you start to see these little comma shaped pockets of gas. Yeah. That's often a, at least raises my index of suspicion mm -hmm. that there's a linear foreign body in there. And indeed there was this cat had eaten ribbon. His name wasn't ribbon, sadly. No. Yeah, wasn't, but he'd, so. eat, he'd eaten ribbon. And, and again, like you'll get a lot more bunching um, with these uh, sharper, finer, linear form bodies than typically you will with Yeah, them. I love these. These are yeah, good. These so are uh, this, this often is stuck in the stomach, it's clumped up, and then it yeah. just goes out. They don't rip through the abdomen yeah. of the, uh, the uh, GI wall as, as quickly. So. Yeah, so some of these um, patients will have uh, fairly normal abdomens on survey radiographs. And again, because you still don't know what's going on with mm -hmm. these cats, often another type of imaging we'll use um, in, uh, in your sort of your generically sick cat is to do an abdominal scan on these guys. And I so, love that you're saying that, but give a couple of tips how you do a ultrasound on a cat that is I, fractious. What would you do? I, I call my husband. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Does that count? No, mm -hmm. no, no. Um, Give us some tips. <laughs> so I, I don't know about you guys. We use a lot of gabapentin in our practice. Yeah, I see a lot of heads nodding. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of our favorite drug, especially um, for the, the cats that might need something short, like an abdominal scan or a short procedure. We'll ha uh, have the owner give it at home. Um, usually some, a standard dose would be 100 milligrams, and we have the owner give it two to four hours before they come into the clinic. So two to four hours seems to be the sweet spot. Um, they don't really get overtly uh, sedated. They, they just kind of don't care as much. Yeah, they're just kind of less stressed about the whole thing. Um, if you need more restraint after that, there's, they're, they're then easier to work with to then, you know, give, get some sedation on board. So even if you're eventually going to uh, more deeply sedate or anesthetize them, the gabapentin can be a really nice um, pathway. And so we often do um, a lot of uh, things like, uh, you know, echocardiograms and abdominal scans with these patients that are fearful and a little difficult to handle. We we'll use gabapentin for them. So that's and my And can favorite. I make a comment about the picture? Yes. What's wrong? Uh, the lady so close to the cat's head, I yes. think that's something that I probably would not... She knows uh, the cat very well. Does that uh, count? No. No. Okay. Especially when it's the owner. <laughs> Please don't do this. No, that's one of my, one of my nurses. Uh, then, it's, then it's still... I mean, yeah. you, need, you need to be very careful. If the cat is painful, they yeah. can lash out pretty quickly. So, so you might actually see the foreign body, but um, ultrasonography uh, also gives you the ability to look at um, intestinal wall thickness. Um, Dr. Sue and I talked about that earlier today. Mm. So, in, you know, again... Often we, we still don't know what these animals have when we're investigating them. So you can look at architecture. Uh, you can measure intestinal wall thickness. But we're also going to show you a few things that are tip-offs that you might have a foreign body in there or that you might have an intussusception because there's some kind of distinct patterns yep. that you can see with, uh, with those types of things. So this is a kitty that actually has um, not a complete obstruction, but he's got some degree of obstruction from his foreign body. And often you'll see these dilated loops of small intestine when you're looking um, on your abdominal scan. And so that can be a clue, right, that uh, uh, downstream from that, you're, you have an obstruction. And, so and then this is always, always the question. And the first time she fell for it, the second time she didn't because she said <laughs> already the answer. But yes. is this a full obstruction? Yes. 
in the cat. So what we're looking at is a piece of bowel, and yeah. I'll explain why. If this full, or should this be operated immediately, or can right. we wait a little bit? Because that's in obstruction always the case. If yeah. you have a full obstruction, then you have to cut them open immediately. If you have a partial obstruction, you can wait until the next morning and then cut them open. So who wants to? OK, full let's do the hand thing. Yeah. How many people think full obstruction? How many think it's a full? Okay. Yeah. Very good. Who thinks, thinks partial. partial obstruction? Yeah. And the rest of you have no There's idea. N yeah. <laughs> Who does no surgery? <laughs> uh, Come on. Some Professor are holding is back, now are holding back. So I always <laughs> yeah. look at the uh, the size of the bowel before and after. the, And in this case, it doesn't matter because it's the same. So that yeah. means that there so is So you're looking at really like that diameter, right? Like yes. the diameter here exactly. and the diameter there. And exactly. if they're about the same... So if it's there's a, if there's a big difference, then you know there's an obstruction right there. So yeah. and you can also see that on the radiograph. So if you have a small bowel that is really big, and you have a small bowel that is small, you know there's a full obstruction. Yeah. Don't look at the colon. So the colon mm. is always really big, <laughs> and the stomach too. <laughs> but if there's a small bowel that is big and a small bowel in the same animal that is small, that's a reason for me to cut them open immediately. Yeah. So that is actually the scan that goes with that patient. So you can easily see those sort of dilated um, areas of the small bell that you're seeing. You can match it up there on the scan, right? So that's a, little, that's a clue um, in, um, in these patients that they may indeed have a discrete foreign body mm -hmm. versus um, a linear foreign mm -hmm. body. Okay. Um, I thought we had one with intussusception. We'll, we'll see if it comes up later. Yeah, we just want to talk about, you know, I think a big change in my life as a surgeon has been the removal of foreign bodies through endoscopy. endoscopy. Yep. So we're not going to talk too much about, because we're focusing on linear foreign bodies and, and, and lymphoma, everything that so starts with an L, but uh, we're not going to talk <laughs> too much go. about conservative <laughs> therapy. And as a surgeon, I'm not very much in favor of conservative therapy. I think you yeah. put too much of a risk there. If you know there's a foreign body in there, uh, you know, it's, it's a little risky. So I'm not so a big... So we even can call you if it's 2 a.m.? Yeah. yeah. So anything that's in the stomach or in the proximal, you can take out with endoscopy. So mm. send it to someone that does endoscopy or do it yourself. Yep. I mean, that's, that's a big deal. And also for diagnosis, uh, it's a wonderful tool. Yeah, but, you know, we do sometimes have to make decisions. So there is three big, three big buckets, right? Do we do yeah. conservative management? Sometimes that's as much dictated by the owner's circumstances mm -hmm. as anything else. So, but we do need to know kind of which patients are going to have likely a better versus worse outcome. Um, or do we go in endoscopically? So can you reach it with the endoscope? Is it the right type of uh, foreign body? Um, or we do um, surgery on these guys. So we wanted to show you this study. So it's an old study, but it's a good one. And it's a study that looked at just cats with linear foreign bodies. These were 24 cats, came in with linear, diagnosed with linear foreign bodies. And 19 of them, they initially, and remember this is in the 80s, so not so much endoscopy going on then. So they decided to, and at least initially, manage the majority of these cats conservatively. Of that 19, 10 of them still ended up in surgery. It's like linear foreign bodies are, are one of the categories you are likely going to end up in surgery. And nine right. probably were misdiagnosed. I would oh, think. and the others were misdiagnosed, mm. yeah. Now, the good news is I they all survived. I would never wait with a linear yeah. foreign body. Once again, I, 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 I understand the study, and yeah. it might be cats that survive, but if you have a more yeah. than 50% chance that you have to go to surgery anyway, yeah. why not do it immediately? So. Yeah, so I think that's, that's a, a good thing to keep in, in the top of your mind, that uh, probably surgery is the better route to go with linear form bodies, um, and if it's an owner who, for whatever reason, um, isn't able or isn't at that place right now, you need to let them know that most of these guys are going to end up um, needing, needing surgery. 
Okay, so this study also looked at which cats might be, because they did choose to treat some conservatively. So they do have a little bit of data on, you know, if you're in that position, because the owner, again, it's owner circumstances, says, hey, doc, is it possible my cat could get by with just conservative management? So of their cases that survived with conservative management, they were the ones that were not sick very long, and they didn't have very dramatic clinical signs. Mm. So they were brought in fairly quickly. They weren't seriously ill. They didn't have abdominal pain. You couldn't feel intestinal bunching, right? A lot of these uh, cats who were managed conservatively didn't even have radiographs. This is all physical exam-based. So no fever. They didn't have anything abnormal um, on uh, abdominal palpation. They did have some uh, minimal lab work done, and there was, like, no serious metabolic derangements going on there. And uh, uh, they also um, checked under the tongue. So... And what they did in this case series is that they saw a foreign body anchored under the tongue. They cut the foreign body. They cut the linear foreign body because, uh, again, they're going to go for conservative management for whatever reason. So if they couldn't do that, that was a, ba- that was a bad sign, right, if there wasn't anything to, to cut loose in this minimally ill patient. That kind of makes sense. Huh? Yeah. So not that we're advocating this, but, you know, we all get in that position where you have an owner that, you know, just can't afford yes. for whatever reason um, to take their cat to surgery. At least you've got some criteria that's going to give them some idea of is this likely to work or not. Yeah, right. so the theory is here that with the linear foreign bodies, it always gets stuck somewhere. Yeah. So if it's stuck under the tongue and you relieve that obstruction, yeah. it's possible that it will It'll move through. through its the, if it's not stuck under the tongue, it means it's stuck somewhere else. Yeah. So most of the time, that's at the pylorus. Yeah. So, you know, not and doing surgery. And there's not surgery, much you can do about that. Uh, yeah. is, is except surgery. Ma- yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's kind of the rules that I go by when I'm talking to owners about, you know, who could we possibly get away, mm-hmm. even though it's not my first choice with conservative management. Oh, so I'm going to let you talk about endoscopy, Yola, because this is yeah, your thing. So I, I, I think we, we, we talked about this already a lot. The thing that I would like to point out is when we oh, talk with some people, they say, you know, endoscopy is really good for dogs, but cats are much too small for this. And I want to just debunk that. Cats are awesome to do endoscopy on. Not only this kind of endoscopy, but I did a lot of laparoscopic surgery and thoracoscopic surgery in cats, and they are awesome. They're very inflatable. <laughs> which I love. <laughs> so you have much more space. So <laughs> don't listen to anybody say, that says it's not possible. No. Before, really. so no. It's yeah. inflatable what counts. Okay, I like that. You that know what is also really good to inflate on? What? It's ferrets. They're also <laughs> very inflatable. Love them. So uh, don't okay. have anybody tell you that you cannot do endoscopy in cats. I, I think that's going to be like the tagline when we do social media for mm-hmm. this. Cats are inflatable. Yeah, they yeah. are. That'll, that'll so. work. Hey everyone, it's Tom Bond with the North American Veterinary Community. Does it get any better than listening to a podcast with Drs. Yola Kerpenstein and Dr. Susan Little, two of the best in the industry. And we are so proud as NABC to be sponsoring this podcast and hoping that you're going to get ready to join us at VMX 2020 coming to Orlando in January of 2020. Hope to see you there and we'll have more conversations about feline foreign objects, other types of foreign objects like the corn cob that my old English sheepdog swallowed. Make sure you join us. Thanks. Let's let's look at a couple of pictures. Oh, yeah. so you're gonna, oh, oh, Dr. Can, Sue, what's wrong with this cat? Yeah. Cat. 
Yay! Yes! All right. Okay, I think our lighting is going to make it a little bit hard to see. Uh, can we turn off the light somewhere? There's a, there's a, who, who wants to push the light button? Yeah, just like push Dr. the light and Sue. see what happens. Because we want to put Dr. Yeah. Sue on the, on the yeah. spot right here. Uh, I'm dangerous is, around is light panels. Light? Oh, sometimes oh, oh, the other way. Yay! Oh. Oh. Sometimes I shut down the whole building. Yeah. So. That is a small cell lymphoma. Oh, yeah. I like that. Good skills. Oh, Thank you. Mad lymphoma. skills. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's not very difficult. Oh, there's a needle in there. Oh, Yay. excellent. So let's talk about needles yeah, a little bit. So, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, because it's always, for me, it's always a yeah. discussion. Should I take that needle out? Yes or I no? Know. So I know that uh, there is some research done, as you can see here. Um, and, and, and so it really depends where the needle gets stuck. So when the needle gets stuck in the proximal part of the just uh, digestive most of the time there's very violent signs and so those often start migrating because <laughs> like that and you know you then it perforates through yes um but uh and, and a lot of them you can remove if they're in the stomach still i mean you can just remove them by endoscopy and how would you do that inflate you inflate them and then Yes, and yeah. then you pick up the little string and very yep. gently pull the needle back out. Yep. Don't pick up the point Don't and try to needle. rip yep. them out that way. You can if you're a really good endoscopist, but it's really easy if you see a little string and there's a needle on it. That's how it came in. That's how, how it, it can come out. <laughs> so it is relatively easy to do. Yeah. Um, but if the needle is further away, then obviously you cannot do that anymore. But yeah. like I said, I think that, uh, that if you look at endoscopy, most of them are successful. Yeah. So, uh, so, okay. Yep. So Very good. Ooh, what about like this, this one? Ooh. There's a needle. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Sue. There's also a cancer. lot of gas. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah, a needle and lymphoma. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. Chemo. yeah. Which so end is pointing which? Yeah, that's always the question. Huh? So which end is pointing which? So point? I have a theory here. I think if the the pointy end is pointed to the front, it has a higher chance of passing through yeah. than when the pointy end is pointed to the back of the GI tract. Why is that? Because the GI tract is kind of contracting on it, and it's moving the needle that way. So if you see the next picture, Oops, sorry. it's ah. right there. So yeah. this owner had no see? money, and yep. so we just waited and saw if... And it's amazing what can yeah. go see? through the GI tract. Sharp end, so. blunt end. Crazy, normally, right? I tell the yeah. owner mm -hmm. not to do this. Yeah. So yeah. I yeah, normally say, let's this, take it out. So yeah. how do we take these out? It's very simple. I feel where the needle is, and then I grab the needle and push it through the, of the, of the intestinal wall, intestinal wall yeah. and I pull it out. Yeah. So you don't make an incision. You push the needle through the intestinal wall. Yeah. Right? You pull very gently. Yeah. If you feel resistance, there might be a threat attached to it. So then you don't keep on pulling. <laughs> then you have to be. But most of them, if it's just a needle or a short thread, you just pull them out. And what do you do with the hole? Just clean it up a little bit, drop it back in, and the cat will be fine. Yep. Or put a suture over it. Put a little omentum on it. That's it. Don't make a big incision in the GI tract, start yep. suturing, and that sort of thing. It's not necessary. Yep. However, if you can't find the needle... There's two things that you have done wrong. One is you haven't done the three Ooh. radiographs, so you cannot find exactly where it is. Like the that. other thing that... Oh, we're talking feline. The other thing is that it might be feline lymphoma. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, uh, they ate the, the needle because they had lymphoma. Yeah. yeah so, so for Good me, segment. it is... It is uh, I'm, I'm a relatively lazy surgeon. 
And uh, so with these needles, I'm, 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 I'm not that, uh, that worried about it. So a little hole in the GI tract doesn't mean that the cat's going to die from severe peritonitis. Yep. If you don't feel comfortable with it, perfect. Then you just make a bigger hole. That's fine with me too. But uh, a lot of these needles you can just pull out. Yep. So we thought it'd be really nice to have Dr. Sue come. Wait, did you right? give me five minutes to do? No, you've got 20 minutes here. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I thought uh, this went until 3.45. No. Sorry? Really? Talk fast. No. So the reason, sorry, the reason that we did um, is because, of course, when these cats start off, you, do, you don't really know what they have when they come in. And... Uh, 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 they may end up having something like IBD or lymphoma. So go, doctor. Okay. Sue. And so you'll see that some of this stuff got messed up. I use Keynote and yeah. like, we literally switched some stuff you at lunchtime. No. Yeah, you weren't supposed to fix that. I oh. did. I know. Oh, it's it got okay. to be messed up. Shh. I only have five minutes. Oh. Stop. Okay. No, so we're, the goal was we're predominantly going to just c- compare and contrast small cell lymphoma with IBD, which yep. is what we were doing in our yeah. talk. There are a few things in here. At, contrast with high grade as well. But lymphoma is one of the most common cat cancers that we see, 30% of all cancers. As you guys know, this is not something, even if it's causing an obstruction and you have to cut it out and do a resection and anastomosis, you need chemotherapy, right? This is a systemic disease. It's not curable with surgery. I'm sorry, Yola. No, but there's a big question, though, because one of the yes, questions I always should... get is, should I cut it out or not, or just leave it in and then treat it with chemo? So my rule of thumb is, in general, if it's not causing a full obstruction, mm-hmm. we will try chemotherapy. You, every once in a while, you have that case that for the high-grade lymphomas, where it's more of a solitary GI mass, where you'll give chemotherapy, and because the lymphoma was infiltrating all of the layers, you can mm-hmm. have a perforation. I've only had about three or four of those in my entire career. Yeah. But in general, if it's a partial obstruction, I will not take them to surgery. There is a newer study looking at that mm-hmm. um, that did have improved survival time. So I think, as I always say, you can put four oncologists or surgeons in the room and probably get seven opinions yeah. <laughs> about whether or not. But in general, you know, it's not a surgical disease exclusively. And when you do an exploratory and you suspect it is one, so it's, you see a solitary nodule, you don't know exactly what it is. It's a cat, so pretty good chance that it is lymphoma. Should you then, and, but there's no obstruction, should you just close them up and put them on chemo, or should you <laughs> remove it that, at that point? I would remove it if I was there. Okay. If you're in Great. there, If Thank you're you. in yeah. there, I would remove yeah. it. Yeah. Um, what if, if you have an aspirate, you don't know if it's an adenocarcinoma, you're going to be really upset, right, <laughs> that you didn't remove exactly. it, because that, that is a surgical disease. Exactly. Um, cool. Yeah. Cats tolerate chemo much better than dogs, and most owners are really surprised with that. Uh, they, you know, they just think they're small, little, fragile creatures, and they're not going to be able to handle chemo. So I make the owners guess: dogs, cat, and people. Who do you think tolerate chemo the best? They're oh, cats, really. And I was shocked during my internship mm. and residency to see that as well. One of the frustrating things about cats, we talk about their clinical signs are frustrating, is that their response rates to the lymphoma, especially high-grade lymphoma, is less predictable. There's a subset of kitties that don't respond, and then you have a subset of kitties that go into complete remission and will be long-term survivors. But it's very hard before you start treatment to be able to predict which of the they're going to be. Well, I'll tell you why in a minute. (laughs) Okay. The prognosis, again, even even amongst gastrointestinal lymphoma, small cell, which is low grade, and high grade, which is the large cell, is going to be quite variable. So just focusing a little bit more on the low grade small cell, this just fits exactly what Susan was talking about. Weight loss, vomiting, diarrhea, and anorexia. Mm. Okay, check. Mm. Great. Yeah. Great. Um, 
And then, you know, this tends to be a chronic disease. These are cats that have these symptoms usually for about six months. And again, we talked about, like, most owners still think vomiting somewhat normal. You know, that, right, oh, they just eat too fast. We make a lot of excuses. Oh, they just eat the plants. They it's just hairballs. hairballs. Mm. So, again, these cats have often been sick for a while. Sometimes they have an abnormal palpation. Sometimes you ropey intestines when you're doing your exam. Sometimes it's normal. It's sort of like we were talking about before. The absence of, you know, an abnormal exam doesn't change it. My own cat, which had IBD, his symptom was weight loss, as I mentioned, vomiting, normal blood work, normal cobalamin, normal ultrasound, took him to laparoscopy and still had IBD. So, again, you know, they can have normal diagnostics and normal exams. So there's um, this new terminology that's creeped into the literature where type 1 EATL is your high-grade lymphomas. We're not going to spend as much time because of time, but Mm. those tend to be quicker, sicker. Those are easier to diagnose. Those are the ones that you can feel a mass. It might be a lymph node. It might be a mass in the intestinal tract. You see it on ultrasound. You're able to do an ultrasound-guided aspirate, and you usually confirm that quite easily with cytology. Large cell, high-grade lymphoma based on your cytology. In general, unless it's, you know, um, an obstruction, we don't typically take those to surgery. The frustrating ones are these low-grade kitties because everything is really similar. Their symptoms, their exam, their ultrasound. Mm-hmm. Cytology is usually non-diagnostic. They might have abnormal uh, thickened bowel on ultrasound, but they might not, but you still need surgery and you need some, some sort of biopsies, whether it's endoscopy, full surgery, laparoscopy like we did. So those are the really frustrating ones where you're like, I'm not sure if it's IBD, I'm not sure if it's low-grade lymphoma, and those are the frustrating ones. So cytology is rarely useful. You'll, again, get very differences of opinion. You know, remember, endoscopy is only going to reach stomach and upper small intestine. So if it's in the ileum, you're probably going to miss it. And those are the cats that we want to do surgery to get our biopsies or laparoscopy if we can. And then they'll diagnose whether it's lymphoma or IBD. The other thing that's really important is IBD, there's, you know, we know that one of the causes for low-grade lymphoma is chronic inflammation. There are cats that have IBD that will progress to the lymphoma, and there are cats that have lymphoma that have concurrent IBD. So when we're thinking about treating a cat with low-grade lymphoma, I'm going to do everything that she wants me to do for For IBD IBD as well. Probiotics, diet changes, because, again, lots of these kitties... Maybe they got missed as IBD, but again, they typically have both diseases concurrently at the same time. The only thing I want to add here is if you do biopsies, and we talked with Dr. Stan Marks about it in one of our podcasts, is do them in every part of the GI tract. Yeah. So don't forget the ileum. Do one in the don't duodenum. Don't forget jejunum. Do two in the duodenum. Uh, in the jeju- uh, one in the duodenum, two in the jejunum. The only thing that wouldn't biopsy is the colon. And then just, you know, just remember that the gastrointestinal side effects of chemotherapy are vomiting, (laughs) diarrhea, (laughs) decreased appetite. What did they present with? Those symptoms. So these are kitties that we want to be, in general, remember, cats tolerate chemo very well, better than dogs, but they're already displaying the symptoms that chemotherapy could exacerbate. Mm. So be very proactive. Everybody in, in my practice, they automatically go home with serenia, Metronide is all in their goodie bags, some probiotic, and I'm also loving Miritaz, the topical ear product, um, and we can use Entice off-label, and if they're having chronic diarrhea, uh, I like a, a product called RX Clay from RX Vitamins. 
Um, and again, everybody goes home with this and an instruction sheet. And again, educating those clients about nausea. They know what vomiting looks like. They do not know how to identify nausea and they need to be proactive with those medications. Then finally, how do I treat low-grade lymphomas? So the high-grade lymphomas, we're going to use a CHOP or a COP or oral lomucine. We're going to use the bigger gun chemo, right? But for those low-grade lymphomas, the slowly developing ones, we don't need the aggressive chemotherapy protocols. So those are the kitties. Basically, I like prednisolone. I'm a prednisolone, not, predno, not prednisone girl. Yep. We want the active form, right? 50%, it's estimated 50% of kitties cannot activate pred into prednisolone. Can you look at the cat and know? No. no. So I like, and Fred works in plenty of cats, but again, I'm in the prednisolone camp, and then I use oral chlorambacil. There's a couple of different dosing. These pulse dosing, you see you're giving this high dose every two weeks, or this dose uh, every three weeks for four days. So oh, for the podcast, 20 mg per meter squared every yeah. two weeks, <laughs> or 15 mg per meter squared every four days for three weeks. I really like the chronic low dosing, which is similar to yeah. what Susan does for her IBD, yeah. which they're usually getting it every two to th- and then every three days is maintenance. A small cat's going to start as every three days and then go to every four days. So, and I find that the survival times, you know, these kitties often lived, you know, um, 18 to 24 months. They do quite well, very different than our high-grade lymphomas. And again, they typically don't need um, aggressive chemotherapy. But they can progress. Like my kitty, they will be, at some point become non-responsive. Um, and often these kitties can progress to high-grade lymphoma and need bigger gun chemo. I'll do their pred at one to two mg per kg per day, and then I decrease them. I try to get them on the lowest tolerable dose. I was talking about early, I did Mm. make a cat a diabetic early in my career, so I tried to get more cats off prednisolone as a result, and I found as I tapered them off pred, their symptoms recurred. So I do end up keeping most of my cats on, like usually about two and a half every other day, and then when they relapse, you'll just go back to the bigger gun chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. I think I'm done. Yeah. Whoa. That was and then so don't forget food. Don't forget <laughs> IBD. Uh, don't forget probiotics. Um, and don't forget B12. Don't forget B12. All right. right. So thank you so much. Just go ahead to your Facebook oh, group. If, if anybody has Facebook, some questions and want to stay, we fast. will stay here for the next 10 minutes, too. If you want to run out, that that's fine, too. We'll just let people move around a little bit. Yeah, and. But yeah. if you have some questions, then we'll definitely we'll stay. Right, there. Leave it on that. Guys, okay. this is a closed Facebook group. We'd love for you to join. About 3,000 vets. If you have questions, we put them there. You guys in there? Well, I will be today. Yes, right, me too. I think I am. I think you are. I Come think visit. I am, of course. All right. Thanks, guys. Yes. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page, at Her Podcast. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August's Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs, and you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatVetSusan. 
Dr. Yerla Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at G-V-E-T-S-X. 